when we coach from a position of authority, the advice monster typically comes out and we get too far into, I know what's best for them. So let me either directly tell them. And it takes a lot of courage as a leader to say, you know what, if I'm coaching Matt, I got to let Matt really lead this conversation. And I can lead it from behind by asking questions and getting him to grow and develop in certain ways. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So for those of you who are checking us out for the first time, we really want to welcome you to our Kelly family and let you know we're here for you. So if you have a leadership topic you are wrestling with or you need to make a decision and you're not really sure what to do, uh, maybe uh, you're new in management and you're just looking for some faculty advice on where the research and things are trending or what you can do to better yourself, or you simply would love to be a guest on our show, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email to ROIPod, that's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. All right, well, last week we sat down with two incredible leaders here at the IU Kelly School of Business. They're both co-directors of the Kelly MBA Leadership Academy. That is Ray Luther and Eric Johnson. And we started a conversation talking about becoming a confident leader. And it's starting with that kind of internal being reflective on um, who you are as a leader. But one thing that was really interesting, I think different from simply looking at yourself and just taking inventory of what's going on inside is really getting down to the question of how am I as a leader experienced within my team, which is a very interesting way of thinking about it because it kind of pulls you away from your own perspective or kind of getting your own biases out of your mind. And it's actually giving you some hard truth or almost like an antidote for, for some of that ego that could be blocking your clear perception. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely go back and listen to that episode because that's going to be the foundation for our topic today, because now we're going to take all of that self-reflecting we've done and now we're going to start implementing it into our team. So guys, dynamic duo, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. And thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, man. So let's, let's get this started by, you know, we, we've started with uh, having the, the, that expression of how do people on your team experience you? Let's kind of do a brief little recap from, from your end on talking about that experience and then let's start transitioning into it. Okay, so how do we start bringing this out into, you know, our meetings with our teams, into our vision with, with some board members or whoever we're, we're interacting with? Yeah. Yeah. So we, I mean, we use those words on purpose. How do other people experience us to get at the reputational element of who am I as a leader? Because oftentimes when we think about reputation, we think about it from our lens. What's my reputation? How do I see my reputation? And if we can put ourselves in other shoes and say, well, yeah, let me understand my reputation, but let me understand it from their perspective. How are they experiencing me? Good, bad, or indifferent, right? Because the old adage perception is reality is very, very true. So I want to understand their perception. I want to understand things that I may even disagree with based upon how they're experiencing me because their opinion is what matters. Their experience is what matters. And if I can, if I can understand a little bit more about how they're making sense of that interaction with me, then I have a chance to actually build my self-awareness beyond what it is today, which is really going to be the foundation of how I'm going to show up, how I'm going to meet them where they are, how I'm going to choose to coach or lead them or anything else I might want to do with them as we interact in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, you, 
it's interesting the way you say that too, because we say, well, this is what I want my reputation to be, but that actually comes from their own interpretation of their identity. And I think the, what we really try to work with our leaders on is your identity and your reputation are probably not the same thing. And a lot of them begin from this place of assuming that they are, or even assuming that they should be. And I think in some cases, I mean, I can speak for myself, like there are definitely elements of my identity I don't need to bring to the workplace, right? So, um, which I think brings up some interesting discussions about authenticity and where it starts and where it stops and how valuable it is and when it stops being valuable and things like that. Um, but a lot of leaders look at the experience that they assume that their teams are having through their identity lens and not really through their reputation lens. And knowing the difference and being open to that kind of feedback, which many leaders aren't to really understand how that experience is landing with their people is it's a really important concept. So, and one thing we were talking about that was, we're kind of leaving the the conversation off as these biases that we bring in, no matter how you lead at some point, there's some biases from yourself you bring into how you lead people. So what are, what are these biases or, you know, what let's, let's kind of, dive into into that and start defining some terms so then we can start going forward with some action plans. So I think when we talk about biases, I think one of the ways we think about this are what are some of the filters that you use to make meaning of your experiences? So some simple ones, for instance, would be personality. And I know there's a lot of debate about Myers-Briggs and Kiersey, which actually happens to be the one we use. We use the Kiersey personality assessment. Um, but we always begin with the assumption that a leader has a personality. <laughs> Do so. they don't, we're dealing with a different <laughs> issue altogether. Um, so if you believe you have a personality, then you have to understand that personality comes with a set of preferences and our personalities are different from each other. If you want to debate the science beyond that, I'm always okay with that. But if you just agree like, man, you have a personality, Ray has a personality, I have a personality. Those personalities are different from each other. And part of the way we make meaning of our experiences is through the lens of our personality. So I tend to be someone with a high priority around adventure and flexibility and just get stuff done. Ray tends to come from a perspective of being very thoughtful and being very intellectual and coming up with a lot of big ideas. And so we make meaning of new experiences very different from each other. And that personality then brings with a bias because the way we choose to lead comes from some of the preferences we have in our personality. And if you understand that you are leading people, leading teams made up of individuals who also have different personalities from each other and different personalities from you, then uh, unless you understand that dynamic and how it impacts the environment you're in, you, you, you can't fully appreciate how, how your team can be interpreting situations differently than you. And that leads to a lot of communication issues and confusion issues. Another big filter that we spend a lot of time on is understanding people's values. Um, we all have very different value systems and values are so much more than things like family and faith and work-life balance, which has different definitions for everybody, but they can be things like an appreciation of beauty, a need for awe, a sense of adventure, financial security, um, a whole host of them. We have multiple values assessments that we use, but those values and how we define those values are also filters and they are therefore biases. So if I have a, if I'm a leader with a huge value around adventure, I'm probably someone who's not only comfortable with the ambiguity, but kind of seeking it out. Like, Hey, let's see how this goes. But if I've got somebody who's got a value around knowledge or reliability or dependability, 
then they might not have the same level of openness to ambiguous environments that I have. And so if I'm leading from my value system and my personality, I can create a very uncomfortable environment for the people who work for and with me. And so those are just a couple of examples of some different biases and filters that we try to work with leaders on to understand how people experience them and how they show up. Yeah. And I, I, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, bias can be as simple as your previous experiences, right? And, and various work experiences you've had. And, you know, every time you want to tell the story of walking uphill both ways through the snow with no shoes, right? And whatever, whatever uh, way that comes across, those biases become very real in trying to say, hey, here's what you might want to do as we start to give advice. Because many leaders we work with, the first we ask, do you coach? And they'll say, yeah, I coach. And then the first thing they go to is I give a lot of advice, right? I I use a metaphor of a sports coach to really tell people what to do. And it's not so much saying, oh, your biases are bad or wrong. or They're just your biases. And if we can't see them for what they are, be conscious of them, then it's going to have an influence and sometimes an unintended influence on how, how other people experience us, right? Which is through this leadership transactional experience that we're, we're working through each and every day. Which brings then, you know, once you bring these biases and like you said, the adventurous side, like I'm more like the adventure, hey, like me, high stressful like scenarios, love it. Like that's where I thrive the most. But I understand that for some people, it builds stress. Like if someone's not adventurous and you're trying to lead them, I mean, they're going to start stressing out. And as we know with stress, I mean, stress just exposes what you kind of already are just in a more heightened environment. And so as leaders, I mean, that becomes a huge deal in the workplaces, navigating through your team's stress levels. So how, how do you start kind of incorporating that and leading or how much, how conscious are you supposed to be of, of the stress levels and, and how do you navigate through those? Yeah, you know, I would say we talk a lot about trying to remain conscious, being conscious as a leader. And honestly, that becomes half the battle because you can't stay overly conscious all the time. You're, you're trying to keep your biases in mind. You're trying to keep those things about the levels of stress and how is my team experiencing me, et cetera. Um, but most of the time what you're fighting is how do I just work off of understanding when I'm on my natural default setting, which is just acting on autopilot versus being more of a conscious awareness type leader. And so if we can get somebody to start to simply become more aware, how do you become more present? How do you start to work and notice what's going on right now, as opposed to thinking about the 50 emails you have to answer or the way that you interacted in the last meeting. But if I'm present and aware, that's the first half of the battle of really dealing with the situation of recognizing when somebody might be experiencing maybe too much stress in a certain situation, or maybe you want to add stress to a certain situation because there's a deliverable or deadline. And that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as we're, as long as we're being conscious of it. Right. And, and that's really where we would advocate for the more we can help leaders understand that the practice of leadership is a discipline in and of itself. And that practice of leadership requires a level of conscious awareness that most of us rarely get to when we're talking about, listen, we're working with people that deserve our best. And to deserve our best, we actually have to be very consciously aware of what we're doing in the moment and how we're coming across as we're working with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, and it's to that point, right? Stress is a reaction and it's a reaction that is demonstrated differently by different people at different times. So we'll take something as simple as, um, let's say you, you put Ray and I in charge of a team that need to create a 10 page PowerPoint presentation for the Dean that's due Friday at five o'clock. I will tell you Friday at noon, if we haven't started on it yet, 
Ray and I aren't stressed about that at all because <laughs> we're very comfortable with our knowledge, with our experience, with our ability to communicate. We're looking at that and going, I got five hours to get 10 slides done for the Dean. Like I'm, I'm good. But there are a lot of people, probably some listening to this podcast that would say, man, if those 10 slides weren't done by Wednesday at five, we have fundamentally failed. Like I know the deadline is five o'clock on Friday, but we need to see those and we need to agree on those and we need to go through them and revise them, et cetera. And so like that, like what I, what I love about what Ray's saying here in, in response to that question is that conscious awareness is noticing what stresses me out. Where am I actually uber calm? And how is that reaction different for the people who are working with me? Because I can absolutely not be stressed by this deliverable and notice that I have people on my team who are stressed my bias then in my natural default setting would be to be like, Matt, calm down, buddy. You're a little too uptight. We've got two days. It's all good. Sure. Well, I'm sitting here freaking out. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like we got to get, we got to get it done. Yeah. And sure. Right. Am I telling you to calm down? Does that make you any better? Absolutely not. Does it make you see me as a better leader? Kind of almost the opposite. It would make me seem like, oh, you're being very insensitive to the fact that I'm stressing out and you're just, you're just fine. And I'd probably even going heighten my stress. Bingo. Now, and now you've lost confidence in me. Right. And so it's that conscious awareness of noticing we're having a different reaction to the same objective. And my telling you to see things through my perspective is actually having the opposite impact on you. So now as a leader, what I need to do is take a step back and actually have a different conversation. Like, hey, Matt, I noticed that this is bothering you. I got to be honest, it's not bothering me, but I want to make sure that we stay on the same page here. Tell me what's going on. And so being able to create some open dialogue, an environment of trust where you feel comfortable coming back and saying, listen, I don't, I'm not wired to wait until the last minute to get this done. It's, can I take the first shot at this? Can I like, to be able to have that conversation, I think is critically important. And then for me to be able to step back and say, you know what, I'm the leader, but I have to respect the fact that the people who work for me are having a different experience with this situation than I am. And maybe I, as the leader and the person who's got some of the knowledge of these tools needs to take a step back and say, maybe instead of asking you to see things through my lens, I should take some time to see them through your perspective and see how we can come to a place where we both feel good about what we're doing together. So it seems like if we were to kind of start once we finish this, you know, being very aware of us and how we were experienced, then it becomes being aware of our teams and being aware how, you know, what we do and how our actions kind of ripple through. So, and and I think you hit on a great point because I wanted to ask in that situation where, you know, as a leader, you have someone sitting down with a conversation, they're stressing out and it's easy for me to be like, just calm down, like chill out, take a breath who changes, like who's the one that's responsible to create that personal change. And it just obviously seems like it's whoever's leading the team's the one that's expected to change instead of saying, Oh, you know what? You're just too stressed out. I need you to, I just need you to quit it. Like you're not helping the team and you force that force that on, you know, and it gets into that kind of that, you know, being that servant mindset of sorts. So what would be the the next step? You know, so as we're we're working through and we got this awareness, where do we start and where do we start implementing change within our teams from a leadership perspective once we start kind of gauging these awarenesses? Yeah, I would say what we tend to advocate for is leader as coach mentality and really trying to focus on how can we develop our people to become their very best. 
right? How can we help them achieve the things they want to achieve? How can we work with them to be honest and forthright with them when they're both delivering and, and not delivering, right? So we're, we're focused on their performance, but we're also focused on their growth. And to your point on being a servant leader, that's the whole point of servant leadership. We're trying to help people become their very best based upon who they want to become. I think when we coach from a position of authority, the advice monster typically comes out and we get too far into, I know what's best for them. So let me either directly tell them or maybe just try to play a little game where I ask some questions and I know where I'm trying to get them to go. And it takes a lot of courage as a leader to say, you know what, if I'm coaching Matt, I got to let Matt really lead this conversation. And I can lead it from behind by asking questions and getting him to grow and develop in certain ways. Sure, I'm going to hold Matt responsible for certain performance standards. I'm going to have certain skills that I want to train him on. But the reality is the majority of development work is going to be, how is Matt growing and developing? How is he making sense of things? And how can I help enable that versus just standing in the way to try to create a mini ray? That should not be my goal. And so I think the, the, the step that, that we advocate is take that coaching mindset. And the first step is, can you develop a list of good questions and good listening skills to, to utilize while you're present? Everything started, starts with presence. So if you're present and I have a good set of questions that I can try to, try to ask and, and understand how this person's making sense of things and I can listen and then interact in that kind of dynamic of presence, listening and questioning, that's going to give me a really fundamental advantage of, of being able to help to get somebody where they want to go. And it's so is kind of what you were saying. It feels like in that in that moment, you're you're letting go of some responsibility as a leader. So you know, like that was a great example. Let's say you know, hey, for me to grow, maybe to my next levels. All right, maybe maybe having not me lead the team meeting, but someone else who eventually I want to get into that leadership role, or maybe set them off into managing a team of their own. Well, I'm going to give them some reps, you know, in 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 the meeting room, and I I want to kind of address something that I, you know, I've heard people talk about, maybe I've even wrestled with myself is when you start giving responsibility as a leader, because obviously you're helping them grow, there becomes a fear of, well, now I'm not going to have anything to do as a leader or like, or it kind of, you know, you maybe feel like I'm not, I'm not as valuable because I don't have as much responsibility. How do you address some of those self self talks of, you know, like if I'm giving this away to you to start leading the team or doing these meetings, now I have so much more time and I don't know what to do with all this time. Yeah, the trap of the human ego. I think that's interesting because that's what we talk about. Oftentimes, why does advice come from a middle management level? It comes because that's where middle managers think they add value. So the value that I, I perceive that I add is solely in my knowledge of how the system operates or what they should do next. And I'm going to give that answer. Well, what does that do? That simply creates a system where the person has to come back and ask for another answer and ask for another answer. And it's a great way to stroke your own ego. You have the knowledge, but it's not doing a ton in terms of developing the person. And what, what's the number one complaint we hear from managers? I want people to bring me solutions, not problems. Yet we're training them to bring you problems, not solutions, right? What I'd rather do is say, how do I hold myself accountable for the development of that person? So that as that person grows, I can, through the process of having high standards, asking good questions, and that person understanding that I'm going to have an expectation that they're going to come in with some of their own ideas and then we're going to build off of those, that responsibility of building out that human capital asset, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, I would just call it the relationship between two people. Boy, that's a lot more meaningful to me and much better of an ego stroke than just my own knowledge of how a system works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it fundamentally goes down to remembering what you're responsible for as a leader. No organization comes to you and says, Ray, 
it is your responsibility to get your team to implement your ideas because we think that they are the best ideas and that's why we put you in charge. What they say is, Ray, it is your responsibility to get the maximum output out of this team. We're holding you all accountable for the results that you produce together. And so as a leader, you have to begin with the assumption that maybe you don't have all the answers and you have to be comfortable with that because your organization isn't asking you to have all the answers. And so if you're willing to accept the possibility that the people on your team either A, have ideas that are at least as good or better than yours, or B, have the ability to take some of your ideas and make them better if you give them time and opportunity to do it, it fundamentally changes the way you view yourself in the equation. And that's what then leads you to say, well, how would you go about this? And what are some things that you think we're missing? Here's an idea that I have. How would you challenge that? Where do you feel like that's weak? How can we work together to make this better? And in the four tools that we, we constantly teach to help leaders with that, we say, take the advice and put it aside. So advice is not a part of this right now. It's, can you ask good, open-ended, powerful questions? Can you show up and be present? Do you demonstrate the ability to listen to learn or listen to understand instead of listening to speak? So that, that listening thing Ray mentioned is huge, but there are different ways to listen, mm. right? And a lot of leaders listen to speak. Like I'm waiting for you to take a breath so I can tell you what you're saying is wrong or I can tell you why I appreciate that you agree with me. But do you listen to understand or listen to, um, uh, to grow from that? And then the fourth thing we talk about is curiosity and how do you remain curious as a leader? And I think there's a big difference between being curious for an individual versus being curious for yourself. And if you allow individuals, if you really have a growth and development mindset, then you're curious for them. You want to see them wrestle with problems. You want to see them bring solutions forward. And that QLPC, the question, listening, presence, curiosity, is the, the model that pulls a lot of leaders away from their biases and away from advice and into a mode where they really try to bring the most out of their teams. And time and time again, we see the, the greatest value is, is generated by the leaders who do the least amount of advising. And Google proved that. I mean, we've seen, what was the project? Oxygen and project, yeah, Project yeah. Oxygen, yeah. Where they polled all the, uh, the teams of the best leaders within the organization and asked, you know, what makes a great leader? And this idea of technical competency, the ability to know the answer to a solution was barely in the top 10 reasons why somebody would be a great boss, but the ability to coach and develop others and get the most out of them was the number one indicator of a great boss. So, and that was across several hundred thousand responses. So, um, I mean, this has been proven scientifically, it's been proven in high performing organizations and we see it in the work we do every day. And that leads into kind of the, one of the next things is as you're, you know, getting momentum with the team, obviously you're going to hit some speed bumps. There's going to be team members that kind of need to be corralled and coached. I mean, like any coach, you know, football coach, if you know, you want to try to get your kids faster. So you just push them a little more. Sometimes you got to have, you got to have tough conversations with people to, to help open their eyes to seeing, you know, that this problem is just bigger than them. Like you have to get them back into the team mindset versus that, you know, being selfish. This is my role. So how, how were better way to say it? What are some of the more effective ways for leaders to engage in some tougher conversations that are more on the behavior and or performance level where they, they need to start correcting um, some of the, some of the actions with those on their team? How, how do you guys or what research have you found that really supports some, some better methods? Yeah, I would, a uh, couple things come to mind. One is I, I'm a firm believer in self-determination theory, and there's three components of self-determination theory. It's people seek autonomy, they seek competence, and they seek relatedness. And if I start from that triangle, 
I can start to understand where is it that the feedback probably is is needed. Is it a sense of they they don't have the autonomy they need, they don't have the skills or the competence they need, or there's some sort of relatedness problem. So if I can get a framework of where they're off track, because when I'm coaching them, I've got those three things in mind of I'm building competence through autonomy through providing relatedness for that person, right? And I'm working on those those tools that Eric just mentioned or with those tools that Eric just mentioned. I think tactically when I look at it, I would say, okay, what domain does that feedback live in? Where, is, where are they really struggling? And how can I honor that person by being very straight um, and, and making sure they understand where the miss is without this concept? And it always cracks me up when we talk about the word brutal honesty. Like, you, what, what's the extra kicker of brutal needed in honesty? I'll just be honest, okay? And if we can stick with honesty, which is, hey, as I see this, here's the situation I see, here's the behavior that I'm currently seeing from you, and here's the impact that it has. And that model is called the SBI model. I believe Center for Creative Leadership came up with it. But it's a very simple framework to be able to share with a person, let's, let's make sure you understand whatever's going on isn't in line with our performance objectives. And, and can we make sure that that's there? Because it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. We are trying to make sure that people understand where they're missing and when they're missing. At the same time, doing it with a proper amount of understanding, meeting them where they are, and, and maybe seeking to understand if there's something else going on that we may not know about, right? Maybe there's a situation in their, their personal lives or something else. And I, I want to stay open to not make too many assumptions on my own, but at the same time say, and, and say it fairly quickly, hey, this isn't, this isn't meeting what we agreed to, this isn't meeting our standard, this isn't meeting our skills, whatever it happens to be. So it, it, one thing I want to uh, address is, you know, as, as we, you know, kind of work on some of these coaching tactics and we work about how to being aware, you know, going in the future as we kind of begin to wrap this conversation up, how do leaders take a vision that, you know, that they're, that they're inspiring or they see and how do you effectively keep it in front of your team without constantly feeling like it's just beating a dead horse or just banging a drum. And, and, you know, sometimes you can, you can say something so many times and people just drown it out. I mean, what are, what are effective ways that um, leaders are able to help their teams constantly see where the goalposts are uh, so we can all strive for in that direction? Well, I can tell you it's not slapping it on a motivational poster and hanging it in everybody's cube, (laughs) even though that seems to be the method most organizations like to use. Um, Ray and I teach a process called the strategic visioning process where we actually do exactly this. We we do it with organizations, for-profit and non-profit, and we teach it as part of one of the classes that we share. Um, and, And at its core, Matt, a great vision is something that everybody can see how what they are doing ladders up to it and and brings it to life. So the process that we teach ultimately lands on a vision statement as a series of what we call bold steps or, or, or also known as organizations as strategic choices. And then the tactical plan gets built where each tactic that a team chooses to implement ladders up to one of the strategic elements and then they can connect the strategic element to the vision. And a simpler way to say that is if an individual can see the meaning in every tactic that they do, if they can see the meaning in the job responsibility that they have, and they can see how that connects to their team or organization's vision, then you are keeping it alive every single day. And it's fine to have it hanging up. But if folks can't walk 
past it and say, today, here is what I'm working on and I can see how it connects to this vision, then it's, it's just a poster. It's not something that's alive. And honestly, the best visions, strategic choices, and tactics are developed with the team together. So the leader is part of that process. And arguably, and the reason why Ray and I do this with organizations is we don't even think the leader should lead the process. We think bring in an external facilitator to lead it. So the leader goes through it with the team and they agree on this. And then the role the leader has is to hold people accountable for those tactics and to support them through the process and to support them as they encounter roadblocks. Um, but it isn't theirs. They didn't drive the team to something that they had predetermined was necessary, but something they work to create collaboratively and then they keep to life every day. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's, I agreed a hundred percent with that because we, we co-teach this. I would say the more a leader can get the individuals within the team to see themselves in the vision, help create that vision. It's, it's not going to have that same feel of the leader beating a drum because people are going to be bought in because they were part of Right. And that's part of letting go and, and creating the shared vision and shared values and shared sense of purpose um, that that we need to be confident as leaders. We can you know, our ego doesn't need to be stroked because we developed the vision. Our ego needs to be stroked because we facilitated a group to lead themselves to higher levels. And that should be what we're shooting for ultimately. So for those who are eager for more, want to take deeper, deeper dives into leadership, you know, with you guys, especially as coaches, what tell people what they can do if they want to kind of go deeper, be a part of the leadership Academy at Kelly. Yeah. I mean, so if you want to be part of the leadership Academy at Kelly, we offer that to our, our full-time MBA students. And so we're, we, we welcome anyone who would love to apply to the, to a great MBA program right here in the state of Indiana or from anywhere in the world. Um, but uh, yeah, we teach this every fall semester and it's a big part of what we do and, and a labor of love for both of us. We've been running it now for six or seven years. I'm, I'm losing track of time and uh, we co-created and it's a big part of our passion. But we also take some of this work and we've taught it through executive ed classes and we've taught it um, outside of the school for certain uh, groups that have asked us to come in and facilitate sessions. So we're always happy to talk with people if people want to reach out and connect with us. Yeah, and our executive education arm offers executive coaching, team building, uh, custom leadership development programs, which can include any component of any of the conversations that we've had with you. Um, Ray and I are not the only people who come out to organizations and do that work. I think Kelly's lucky to have a lot of great leaders, some who have academic experience and backgrounds, some who have more of the corporate and, and pragmatic um, practitioner backgrounds that can come in and do this work. But um, I would I would definitely have it's fair to say we're one of the leaders in the field as a school and would love the opportunity to do this with organizations. Again, Eric Johnson and Ray Luther, thank you guys so much for being a part of the podcast. They are the co-directors of the Kelly MBA Leadership Academy. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.